0: grab a seat. Uh, it's wonderful to be with you today. My name Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I'd love to invite you to grab your, um, the outline out of your handout. Uh, you can follow along on the notes uh, with us today. We are in um, kind of the middle of this series called Ride of Your Life. And it's, I think it's a really, really exciting time because the, the metaphor that God gave me many, many years ago as I was teaching my son Caleb to ride his bike, I realized that the five lessons I was using to teach him how to ride actually are incredible life lessons that Jesus is inviting us to learn as we embrace the abundant life that He comes to offer each and every one of us. So, uh, kind of in lieu of this metaphor, I wanted to ask you, could you cast your mind back over the course of your life, go all the way back to the time when you learned how to ride a bike, okay? Now, for some of you, that's a really long time ago. First service, it was like, you know, just after the invention of the wheel, then they learned to ride. Uh, Some of it, you know, it was like rainbows came in black and white. This was pre-color. Like, there was just some of those kind of a long time. Some of you, not that long ago. But I want you to think about sort of how old you were, what house you lived in at the time. uh, What are some of the memories that you have about learning to ride a bike? Because I want you to get your mind around what changed... Once you learned. So for me, I was in first grade uh, in Orange County, California. I had gone door to door in my neighborhood washing cars. You know, I had a bucket and puppy dog eyes, and I was trying to raise half of the money so that I could buy my first bike, which was a beautiful black banana seat Schwinn. With a huge orange flag on the back, I put an ace of spades in the spokes. I mean, it was so gorgeous. In fact, when I told my kids I, uh, I was writing this this book, I said I want this book to be called How to Schwinn in Life, and they thought I had entered a region known as Epic Lame. You know, it was just horrible. So, my buddy Scott and I. Uh, Once we learned how to ride, we headed down Muirlands Parkway, past the Orange Groves. This was when Orange County still had Orange Groves. And we rode all the way to the donut shop on El Toro Road. Friends, this was no mere ride. It was 1.2 miles. It was a quest. I had to cross city lines to get here. And uh, there was a, a Donkey Kong game in the donut shop, there was a Carl's Jr. next door. I mean, for me, in my world of kiddom, this was the pinnacle of existence. This was as close to heaven as I could imagine being. And, and I say all this because I want you to understand that it was opened up to us after I learned how to ride a bike. So riding a bike was more than just a skill set that got added to my repertoire. Just, like how I said that? Repertoire. Uh, it was a paradigm-expanding reality that suddenly thrust the horizons of my universe to all kinds of places I never even dreamed. Now, that was true for you when you learned how to ride a bike. Maybe your bandwidth was where the big wheel would take you. Where does the big wheel take you? Not very far. And suddenly you learned to ride. All of a sudden, your universe is is bigger as well. Here's the question I have for you. How long has it been since your universe has been expanded? See, as a child, you grow, and as you grow, you have all of these universe-expanding realities. You learn these lessons. You grow, and and God just makes your world bigger and bigger and bigger. But as an adult, just the opposite takes place. We kind of hunker down. We hold on. Our universe actually constricts and shrinks and grows smaller. And so the challenge is that we would step into the abundance that Jesus has for us. He wants our universe to keep growing. He wants the life that we live to keep expanding, the love that we experience to keep growing. And that's why I put his words on your outline, the very first words. In John 10.10, Jesus says, a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. You might want to circle the words more and better. Jesus is inviting us into that kind of abundance, more and better life than we can dream of. And and I believe that these five lessons are how we go after that. The first lesson we talked about last week, which is no fear. Bonus points, uh, why don't we have anything to fear? It's because our Father has us. He is holding us. He is right by our sides. Our Father is never going to let us go. That was the lesson that Caleb needed to learn when he was learning to ride a bike, and that's the lesson that you and I need to learn again and again and again. Don't be afraid, because God, our Heavenly Father, is with us. Lesson number two, if you're filling in the blanks, is balance. It's balance, and that's, of course, the the next. It's the very practical lesson that we have to learn if we're going to learn to ride a bike. So when I was teaching Caleb, you know, he comes running out day two, he's excited, he has no fear. Dad, it's just so much fun to ride a bike, right? I don't have anything to fear, I'm like Aslan in my heart, you know, he's all excited about it. I said, yeah, buddy, you're right, no fear because your dad has you. Now, lesson number two, are you ready for it, Caleb? He said, yeah, I'm ready. It's balance, okay, let's do it. So he gets on the bike and I hold the seat stationary on the driveway. And I said, now, Caleb, I, I don't want you to, to move anywhere. I just want you to sit still here on the bike and balance it. And I, you know what happens when you try to balance a stationary bike. It's quite difficult. So he was there, and he was, like, twisting you know, the, the steering wheel for a while, but then he leans over and puts his foot down because it's impossible to balance when you're not going anywhere. So I told him that. I said, Caleb, listen, not many people in this whole wide world know how to balance a bike when it's not moving but there's a secret to balance, and once you learn the secret, you can balance forever and ever. Are you ready for it? He goes, yeah. I go, it's this, pedal. Oh, pedal, okay, I got it. So we practiced again, kind of the same way we did before. I held the seat, we're going around the yard, and he's pedaling around, and and then we're reviewing the lessons. What's lesson number one, buddy? It's no fear. How come you have nothing to fear? Because you're holding my seat. That's right, your dad has you. I'm not gonna let you go. Second lesson, what is it? It's balance. How do you balance? You pedal. That's right, because you get momentum and you have momentum, therefore, you're able to balance. And, and as we we're running around, what I did on day two is I began to let go of the seat. First time I let go of the seat, he's running along, he notices that I've let go, and so he squawks out Dad, don't let go! I say, wait, but what's lesson number one? Oh, yeah, no fear, no fear. You know, he gets it. And so we're running around. One time, I let go of the seat, and he starts to pedal slower and slower and slower on the grass. And you know what happens? He just kind of runs out of steam, and then he kind of plops over to the side. And it was an, it was an example, uh, an opportunity for me to teach him, falling is rarely fatal. And it's just a part of the process of learning to ride. And so I scooped him up with encouragement, and we began to review both of the lessons. And that's how lesson number two went, balance. How do you balance? You pedal. Now, as adults, there are a few things that you and I have to keep in mind when we're trying to negotiate this ride of our lives. And the first thing, if you're filling in the blanks, is we need to be willing to pedal hard. We have to be willing to pedal hard. Einstein says, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. And that's true. It's true of our lives. It's true of how it is that we want to embrace this adventure that Jesus is calling us into. And so the challenge is we have to be willing to pedal hard. If you could imagine for a moment riding your bike down a hill, nice, long, you know, gentle downhill slope, imagine what that looks like when you're on your bicycle. doesn't matter what kind. You're riding downhill and gravity is your friend. It's relatively easy in that context just to balance the left side of your body against the right side of your body. And in fact, it's so easy as you're rolling downhill, you can actually take your hands off the handlebars, put them behind your head, take a quick nap, not really. Uh, You can do all of these things. Why? Because coasting downhill is relatively easy to do. Now, I want to tell you, some of you have a a problem with this idea of balancing your life because you think your life should look like that, and it rarely does. Now, I want you to imagine riding your bike up a hill, the same hill. Now, you're going back up all of the energy and effort that it takes to push the left side of, of, of your body forward, right? Your, your, your leg just pushes hard, and then the other side pushes hard, and then it switches back and forth, and there's all this effort that's used, but first on one side and then on the other. Even your upper body's doing the same thing. Your, your arms are pumping one side and then the other. You're kind of moving back and forth and back and forth, and in fact, it doesn't look like balance as much as it looks like a dance of counterbalancing. In fact, if you want to write down a definition, I think this is the most helpful definition that we can go with, is that the idea of balance is the nuanced dance of counterbalancing. And I believe this is a more accurate picture of what it looks like in all of our lives as we pursue balance. It's that constant dance of negotiating these... um, Uh, endeavors that we find important in life but we have to push a lot of energy and effort and strength into and then we back off and we push a lot of energy and effort and strength into the next priority and we keep doing that as a form of balancing so for my life I'm a happily married man, I'm a father of three, I love the ministry, I get a chance to be involved in at Overlake, I'm a hack writer, I like to value active lifestyle, like there's all these things, they're all priorities in my life, and the challenge is that balance does not look like a downhill ride where they're all perfectly balanced all of the time. What it looks more like is I push really hard into one priority and I I give it all my energy and effort, then I back off and I push into the next way right, that, that there's a, a time when I'll push, like last week was an example, I pushed really hard into ministry, and, and the, the idea of we wanted to be strategic about these next 12 months, and so we were with our staff, and we spent all this time pushing hard on ministry and achievement in ministry, and then I have to recognize I come back from retreat, now I get to push hard into family and marriage. Does that make sense? And so kind of you just do this dance of counterbalancing, And I want to chart a course where both my family, my wife, and uh, my church, they all know that they are cherished by me because the energy that I bring to the table, I push really hard as I have momentum seeking to negotiate this dance of counterbalancing. Just think about Overlake for a moment. Overlake has three purposes, love God, love people, serve the world. But in no single message are all three of those uh, purposes equally balanced. Or even in a season, they're not all three perfectly balanced. But what happens more is in the course of a year, strategically speaking, we press hard into one purpose and then we ease off that and we press hard into the next. Does this make sense? And so uh, it, it would be much easier if we only had one purpose and we just do that all the time, but then we would sacrifice the church that God is calling us to build. And that's kind of as you look at your life, you have to determine what are the things that are most important to me. That's what you need to be willing to pedal hard toward. Rhetorical question: Is balance a necessary part of your life? Of course it is, right? Uh, we found some visual examples of why balance is so important and uh, sort of the benefit uh, cost analysis of right an uneven load that'll that'll destroy you. Um, this last picture we think was taken in. Uh, It was taken in Duval just last week as uh, trying to, you know, move goods there uh, on the other side of the valley. So yeah, you, you need to just realize how painful it would be to carry an uneven load on your own shoulders or how dangerous it would be for a boat to load all of its freight on one side and leave the other side empty. Or how silly it would be to be doing squats at the gym and put 200 pounds on one side and 10 pounds on the other. It would be horrible or disastrous or painful or injury-inducing. And so I just want to say very clearly, no matter what the area of your focus is, you've got to be willing to pour the effort in required to generate momentum so that you can have balance. Now, the next truth is that there are some seasons of our life in which it's harder to pedal than others. Think about riding a bike. Some of the terrain that you cover is more difficult to negotiate than other terrain. And so for some of us in our life, maybe you're in a season where you're, uh, you're raising young kids and you're finding it difficult. Or maybe you're caring for aging parents. Maybe this is a season in your marriage where it's, there's a lot of hard conversations that need to happen. Or, or, or maybe this is a financially difficult season for you. And if that's the case for you, I just want to encourage you Remember that no hill lasts forever. That no hill lasts forever. That the season that you're going through, it will not last forever. There is a downhill stretch coming. The seasons that we face in life have a natural ebb and flow to them. So trust that your heavenly Father is with you and keep pedaling. You know, that little phrase in Scripture, you just might want to write this down, when it came to pass. And the things that we have that come in our life, the trials, the difficult seasons, they come, yes, we have to negotiate through them, yes, but they also pass. No hill lasts forever. This brings me to my next truth, which is this. Jesus is our example. Jesus is the example that we seek to follow. And this is true in all things. We point to Jesus every single week, every single ministry we go after it. overlay. Jesus is the one that we learn from. His are the teachings that we try to live by. And the example that he sets is the example we seek to follow. And when I'm talking about balance and generating momentum in our life, Jesus is the great example for us to look at. The thing about Jesus' ministry as you look through the Gospels and you realize that he did have a singular purpose. He knew that he was about his Father's business from start to finish. He knew exactly why he was here, to give his life on the cross, for the, uh, to pay for the sins of the entire world so that all of us could be in relationship with our holy, heavenly Father, that he knew exactly why he was here on earth. And as he lived his life and his ministry, he pursued it with this incredible tenacity. There was effort. He was peddling hard but there was balance, right? You see Jesus and he would be speaking to the masses or he would be doing miracles in front of the masses and, and I'm talking like thousands and thousands of people and then immediately afterwards, he would withdraw and he would go on retreat and he, and he would spend time just being refilled with his relationship with the Father, Right. There would be times when he would be pouring into discipleship with the twelve; that he his, his whole life would be twenty four hours a day, you know, just pouring in discipleship with the twelve, and then he would withdraw and spend time in a mutually edifying friendship with three that were his closest friends. And he just knew how to do this. He, he knew how to be available in a city where the entire city would come out and just mob around him and be touching him and hanging on every word. And then he would say, you know, early next morning, guys, we got to go to a town that's never heard about us. And he would just leave the success of this ministry and go to someplace else where they didn't even know who he was. And he he'd lived this life of balance, right, the ebb and flow, the dance of counterbalancing and so it's it's in his footsteps that we seek to follow it says this in Luke 252 Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and all the people and what you see even in that verse is a very balanced verse right he is growing physically he's growing in strength he's growing just in who he is as a man but he's also growing in wisdom and intellect, that there's, there's kind of both ends. It's physical, it's, it's mental, emotional, spiritual. And then it talks about he, he grew in favor with God. So the more he grew, the, the more there was this deep, rich relationship with the Father that just kept expanding, but also in favor with people. In other words, he knew how to invest in relationships as well. Friends, it's a picture of balance. And Jesus is our example. It's what it looks like for us to live in, in balance. Next fill in, momentum has to begin somewhere. It has to start somewhere. There has to be action at the beginning of any worthwhile endeavor. And I'll just share a story about how Jody and I met. We we met at a uh, Christian school chapel, I was the communicator at this chapel. Uh, Jody was not a student at, at the school, just that'd be creepy. Uh, she, she was in college and she had come back to the school for that chapel because her youngest sister, Jody's the oldest of six girls, I, I think her dad just kept rolling the dice, like maybe a boy, maybe a boy, you know, and he loves his daughters. But it, it, uh, Jody was coming back, there's like 15 years between them, and her youngest sister was in kindergarten receiving an award that day. And uh, so Jody had come back from school to, to be a part of that and And so I did the message, and then after the the chapel was over, one of Jody's sisters introduced Jody to me, and so we were just sitting there chatting, and Jody's parents came up, and they introduced themselves, oh, hey, Pastor Mike, you know, we were just getting ready to take Jody out to breakfast, would you like to come with us? And I was like, oh, that sounds great, you know, beautiful woman, free food, this is all good to me, and... And so we went out to breakfast, and and that was our first official date, was, you know, with her parents. And uh, Jody, of course, was horrified because she felt like her parents were trying to settle the dowry amount before the third cup of coffee. (laughs) But after that breakfast was over, I remember driving away from the parking lot, and the three of them were still standing on the sidewalk. They were kind of chatting before Jody went back to university. And as I drove away, I looked in the rearview mirror, and the sun was shining in a field of blue. And the birds were singing. There was a gentle breeze blowing, and the sundress that she was wearing and her hair. And, and there was of glory over the whole scene. Angelic choir, you know, ah, ah, ah. That's the little mermaid, but you know what I'm talking about. And and in that moment, it, it, totally true story. She doesn't believe it. It's just so true. I just remember thinking, God, this is one that I could spend the rest of my life getting to know and the rest of my life being known by. And so a couple of days later, I, I made a phone call to her parents' house. Nobody was home, so I left a message on the answer machine. Do you guys remember those answer machines? <laughs> And I, I left a message, I, said, I introduced myself again, hey, this is Mike Howerton, and, and I, I, uh, I really had a good time, you know, hanging out with you at, at uh, breakfast, and would love to maybe have some time uh, where I take you out on a date next time you're in town, and this time maybe we leave the parents at home. And, uh, and that message was, was, was kept and played for the amusement of several hundred people, Uh <laughs> before Jody ever heard it. Uh, but, um, but I thank Jesus that she said yes. And that was 20 years and a million miles ago. And now we have the, the daily and weekly joy of trying to balance what the chaos of three kiddos and sport teams and education and, and spiritual life and all this stuff. Like we, we, we get the privilege of seeking balance. But what I want to point out right here, it never would have happened without the phone call. Like there has to be a starting moment for balance. And that starting moment It's always activity. It always starts with movement, and that movement always requires effort. It's force that's required, or balance never happens. And I just say that because I want you to even think about how this works in our world, just the amount of energy and, and like, courage, and, and there's all kinds of things that require us to begin, but it always starts somewhere. So when you start riding a bike, all of your energy is invested right at the beginning. Before there's any momentum, you've got to push strength into pedaling. Or think about a rocket taking off from the pad. All of the fuel and the force required just to lift it a few inches off the ground. It's all burnt up right at the front end of that journey. Or you think about a locomotive that's just beginning. And how much energy and effort it takes just to get all of the cars moving. See, that's so important for us to realize that, that momentum starts somewhere, and where it starts requires so much effort and intentionality. Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great, and in it he talks about the flywheel principle. And a flywheel, if you don't know what that is, just imagine the crank of your bike where the the pedals go around. It's that idea of of a wheel that that turns all of the gears. And he talks about how much energy is required to turn that flywheel, to to get it going. And, And it requires all this intentionality and effort and all this blood, sweat, and tears, all of that hard work to get the flywheel moving. But then he says... Once it starts to move, an interesting thing happens, it starts to lend its own momentum to the process. And if you keep on pushing, what you'll discover in some imperceptible moment is that the flywheel itself is helping you push it. And now gravity and inertia are actually working with you, and suddenly it requires very little effort to produce the same results. And I just want to bring this up because in 23 years of ministry, I've seen it happen again and again and again. I've seen it happen in ministry. I've seen it happen in marriages. I've seen it happen in raising children. That there's all this energy and effort that's required on the front end, but as you continue to push forward, you see, because a body at rest tends to stay at rest, but a body in motion tends to stay in motion. And suddenly, physics itself is helping us accomplish what God is calling us to do. This brings me to the next truth. Do the right something. Do the right something. In other words, all activity does not equal productivity. Organizing the paperclip drawer does not help anything happen in your life. And uh, it's just something that we have to learn again and again. We have to choose the priorities of our lives and push hard on those things and really be willing to drop some of the other things. I remember a time when Jody and I were first married and some friends of ours were coming over for dinner and we just found out that they were in town and now they're coming over in about 15 minutes. And we lived in a little 400 square foot apartment so it took us about 15 minutes to clean this thing. And uh, so we start, you know, kind of getting ready and cleaning. But instead of doing something big, like like taking the laundry from the couch into the bedroom or or starting to clear the dishes from the table, I I rather absentmindedly grabbed the cappuccino machine off of the refrigerator and started polishing it. (laughs) And my wife looked at me like I had espresso for brains, and she said, you know, there are some really big needs in front of us. How about push a vacuum or, or clear the laundry? She said, after we finish the big things, then you can focus on the minutia, you hot hunk of a husband. I think I'm remembering that right. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, she was absolutely right. That The idea is not all activity is the same in terms of value for our lives. Many of us find our lives continually out of balance Because we are putting so much time and energy into things that don't matter at all. If you're Noah on the ark and the boat starts to list to one side, you begin by moving the elephants, not the hummingbird cage. And so I, I just bring this up to say that the mantra should not be just do something. The mantra should be do the right something. Let our activity line up in terms of our priorities and the purposes in which we want to live our lives. Next fill in, you can't think your way to balance. This is not a mental exercise. It's not an academic exercise. You have to move toward it. Action is required. Even if God is the one instructing you and directing your steps, you are the one responsible for moving forward. And I say this because in the Bible, we are promised that with faith, all things are possible. But we are never promised with faith, all things are easy. In fact, just the opposite. The things that are worthwhile in our faith, the things that are worthwhile in our life, the adventure that Jesus is actually inviting us into very often requires all kinds of hard work. All kinds of effort, all kinds of strategic thinking behind it. And and we must never be afraid to work hard in order to see great things accomplished through our lives. Here's a great quote from Maxwell Maltz. He says, man maintains his balance, poise, and sense of security only as he is moving forward. When you're riding a bike, the only thing you have to worry about balancing is the right side of your body with the left side of your body. And you just have to think about the fulcrum being where the wheels hit the ground, and you're just sort of generally balancing one side versus the next. But do you realize what a nuanced dance of balance is required, counterbalancing, for all kinds of things in life? I remember reading a a study done about communicators and their hand gestures. And I remember thinking, oh, I should read this study because I'm a communicator and I want to use hand gestures appropriately. And, and so the first thing I, I found was that people who use hand gestures generally are viewed as warm, open, and approachable. And I thought, oh, that's what I want, you know, so great. This is great. I, lo- I love the idea of using hand gestures in communication. And then sort of as it kind of went on, it said, but if you use hand gestures too much or too quickly, then the people kind of look at you like, like you don't know what you're talking about, and you're kind of frantic, and, and you're really insecure on stage. And that made me a little insecure. <laughs> and then it said that people who use no hand gestures, or very few, are viewed as cold, and distant, and unfeeling. And if you should dare point at your audience, if you should ever point at the person that you're talking to, you have just exerted domination over them, and the chance of them receiving what you're saying poorly has gone up exponentially. And the more I read about hand gestures, the more freaked out I got. And I I bring all this up to say that it, it simply illustrates a point that even in a small little niche of life, communication, that there is such a nuanced dance of counterbalancing required. And none of us can be perfect in all the areas of life. None of us can do this. But I want to close our time together by talking about some areas that are important, that every honest heart should endeavor to seek balance in these areas of life. And the first, if you're filling in the blanks, is work and life. It's called that work-life balance. We talked about that a little bit before. This is something that should be priority for all of us as we're trying to figure out how we live this life well. And so let me begin by a somewhat of a hard truth. It, it, at some point, you have to realize that if you're perpetually out of balance in work and life, that ultimately it's your choice. In the final analysis, you are responsible for determining your own priorities. You can blame it on your job, your finances, your upbringing, and your relationships for only so long. And we all know stories about people who are successful in life, but at great cost. It costs them their marriage. It costs them their relationship with their children. It costs them uh, ethical violations that have come back to haunt them. And it comes from living a life out of balance. A buddy of mine was working in sales for the world's most profitable company in downtown Chicago, and one day he was driving his wife and his son, his son was a toddler sitting in the back seat, and they were driving through downtown Chicago and he heard his toddler say, "Oh, look, it's Daddy's house." as he pointed to the office building. And my son and my buddy realized that what his son was saying is that he believed that the toddler and Mommy lived in one house and that Daddy lived in this other place, this downtown office. And it really just struck him to the core. He, he did not want to look his son in the eyes 25 years later and try to discuss the reason why dad was never there was because I chose to be gone. And so it started some hard conversations, first with his wife, first with himself and the Lord, and then secondly with his wife, and lastly with his boss. And he ended up making some changes, relocating out here to Seattle, and And it sort of changed the whole dynamic of how he wanted to do life and family, but he wouldn't trade it for anything. And so I I say all this as encouragement, that there are no easy answers when it comes to the work-life balance. You know that there are hundreds of books written on this topic alone. But let me give you the Cliff Notes version of all of those books, if you want to write these things down. The first is you have to make sure this balancing act is a priority. What we prioritize, we actually spend more time and intention around. So you elevate it in priority. Second thing, schedule in family time because what gets calendared gets accomplished. Third thing, we need to be willing to reevaluate how important career pursuits are in terms of how we want to live. We need to be willing to downsize material desires in order to upscale our life quality and quantity. And we need to be willing to say no to good things in order to say yes to great things. The Apostle Paul is a great example for us in this. In Philippians 4.12, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And the next verse that he, he writes, he, sa- he says the answer, how he lives through all scenarios, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's the one that we want to go after, and so we need to be willing to prioritize this work-life balance. Second thing here is the balance between speaking and listening. And in every single relationship that we have, this is a balance we're going to have to negotiate. I would suggest that asking questions and listening to responses is a far more positive and powerful tool than simply speaking truth into someone's life. What we say is far less important than how well we ask and how much we hear. And this is especially true for parents or grandparents with their children or their grandchildren. They are desperate to know that we care about them, that we seek to understand what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they're going through. Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. So the, the, the starting place for our relationships should be listening and question asking. Asking questions rather than making statements and being fully present and mindful so that you can hear your spouse's heart, not just their words. James 1.19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. The next fill-in, the balance between health and enjoyment. In our lives, we have to negotiate the balance between fitness and just enjoying life. And obviously, health has its benefits. Each one of us mere mortals is this unique blend of body and mind and spirit, of chemical reactions and eternal being. So it's important to be emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and physically healthy. At the same time, we also have to value things like sleep and recreation and laughter But you know as well as I do that when fun becomes the only value, then health is sacrificed and begins to decline. So living in fun must be balanced with health and with discipline. But, friends, the truth is that you could work out, eat right, sleep well, cut down on salt and alcohol, avoid smoking, eat only bland protein and flavorless vegetables, and you could still get hit by a bus. So be healthy, but also enjoy life, live a little, and the next one, the last one we'll talk about today is the, the balance between depth and shallowness in our relationships. In all of our relationships, every one of us has friendships that are deep and meaningful as well as acquaintances that are friendly, polite, and fun, but not close. And I've shared with you before, Overlake, this happens to be one of my weakest balancing acts of all. That for me, I am much more at home in fun, polite, and relatively shallow uh, friendships. I call those the five-minute friendships. That's where I, I flourish in that level. So I have to challenge myself to allow relationships to go deeper, more authentic, more transparent level. In fact, once I was on vacation with my family... We happened to be uh, in uh, one of the Hawaiian islands, and so we booked a a, a sailing trip. And we went around the, the back side of one of these islands, and the captain got the boat right into this large pod of spinner dolphins, maybe 150, 200 spinner dolphins, and just cut the engine. And there we were, kind of just surrounded by dolphins. And then the captain said, um, he instructed everyone on the boat to begin to applaud and cheer the dolphins. I don't know if you've ever known this reality. It was new to me, so, so it was a little bit weird for us to just start clapping, you know, uh, out at the ocean. But as we started clapping and cheering, a couple of the dolphins would then jump out of the water and spin in the air. And of course, when they jumped out of the water and spun, everybody started clapping and cheering more. And the more we clapped and cheered, the more dolphins would would jump and spin. They would just do the show. And the more, you know, the, the more they would do the show, the more we'd clap and cheer. The more we'd clap and cheer, the more we got a show. I mean, it was really incredible. It was just like nature's, you know, sea world right there. And as it was going on, it hit me. I'm just like that. You know, like, hey, <laughs> Woo. Pastor Mike, you're so funny. Oh, there I go. You know, like, <laughs> You know, oh, that was so deep today. Woo, there I go. You know, I just, I, I love kind of that fun and, and uh, happy and friendly and, and shallow five-minute friendships and nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think it kind of fits where I am in life and ministry and that, that works okay. But it's a challenge for me to also do the dance of counterbalancing where well, there are a few guys in my world that we, we go deeper in our spiritual lives together. We pray for one another. We challenge one another. We're free to speak honest truth to one another. Does this make sense? And so you kind of have to go after all these things, and, and, and these are the, the, the balancing acts. There are a few more in the book that I think are really worthwhile. But what I want to challenge you is this. As you take a look across the spectrum of your life, you might get discouraged right now because you're thinking to yourself, man, that's out of balance, and this is out of balance, and I haven't seen balance in this area for years. And, you know, it's just, it can be really discouraging. So I just want to remind you you're, you're not in this thing alone. That the Holy Spirit of God, as, as we trust in Him, He comes into our lives. And he gives us his strength, and he pours his courage out into us, and he'll bring to mind the things that even this week he wants us to begin to tackle. He'll show us where we need to to generate momentum so that we can actually achieve this kind of dance of counterbalancing as, as we ride. And the scripture says this in Ephesians 3, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Because his resources are inexhaustible. His strength is without limit. Ours has a limit, but not his. And so it's, it's from his heart and it's, it's courage that he pours into us that allows us to jump in and generate momentum so that we can be balanced in the areas that are important. Okay. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray. Lord Jesus, even as I just said that I believe that you will bring areas to our lives where we're out of balance, my prayer is right now that you would bring those areas to our, our minds, that you would show us where we need to generate momentum this week, where we need to lean in, whether it's a relationship with a spouse, whether it's maybe, maybe one of our children that we've become kind of distant from what does it look like for us to balance this work life and to make sure that the the deep and rich priorities of our lives are getting all of our attention? and, And the shallow, silly things in life, we just let it go. So Jesus, would you just do your work in our hearts right now? Show us what it looks like to follow in your footsteps as we walk toward balance. And we love you, Lord. We thank you for never leaving us, for never forsaking us, for being with us, supporting and helping and guiding us each step of the way. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.